Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Hello and welcome to World Weekly from the Financial Times. I'm Daniel Dombey. Will Donald Trump's legal woes ever end? And how big a problem do they spell for his presidency? In the last few days, Mr Trump has railed against special counsel Robert Mueller and expanded his own legal team as suggestions swirled that the president might be tempted to sack Mr Mueller. One man who has already been dismissed is FBI Deputy Director Andrew McCabe, who allegedly has been talking to Mr Mueller and was removed only a day before he was set to retire. So is the end game in sight? I'm joined by the Financial Times' Dimitri Sevastopoulou, here in London, and by Edward Luce, VFT's chief US commentator in Washington, D.C. Dimitri, can you tell us about just why Mr. Trump has been quite so angry about Mr. Mueller in recent days? Well, Trump has been angry and frustrated about the Mueller investigation ever since it began and, and since he came into office, frankly. I think what's happened in recent days is his frustration has grown for a number of reasons. The first is that his two main lawyers, John Dowd and Ty Cobb, two kind of pillars of the Washington legal establishment, last year they told him that the investigation would likely be wrapped up by Christmas and that Mueller would come out with a statement saying that Trump had been exonerated. Now, that hasn't happened. Now, the reason they did it was they argued to Trump the best thing to do is to cooperate with Mueller, not to attack him publicly, and by the end of the year, this will all be over and you can move on. But it hasn't happened. So Trump is frustrated that uh, he's still having to deal with the Mueller investigation and that the advice his lawyers gave him uh, was either wrong or, at a minimum, overly optimistic. That's the first thing. The second thing is, uh, in recent days, we've learned that for the first time, Robert Mueller has subpoenaed documents from the Trump organization, which Donald Trump is obviously no longer leading. But it sends a signal that Mueller may be looking more widely beyond just the narrow allegations of whether there was collusion between the Trump presidential campaign and the Kremlin, and maybe looking at Donald Trump's former business interests. Now, that's important because in July of 2017, Trump did an interview with the New York Times, and he was asked, if Mueller started investigating his personal finances, would that be crossing a red line? And Trump said it would. Now, we know that Trump last year asked Don McGahn, who's his White House counsel, his top uh, administration lawyer, to see whether they could fire Robert Mueller. And McGahn said no, that he would resign if that happened. So, you know, Trump is very aggressive on Mueller. He's very frustrated that the investigation is there and getting bigger, if anything, and he doesn't know what to do about it. Ed, you've written that while Mueller stays in his job, the US system is working as it should. Well, Mueller whilst he's able to pursue this investigation to subpoena people he wants to subpoena to question people he wants to question to make deals plea bargain qualified indictment deals uh, such as the one he made with rick gates paul manafort's number two then the system is working as it should the crunch really comes when trump tests robert Mueller either by firing him that would clearly test the system Would Congress push back? Would a Republican-controlled Congress really stick to the red line that Republican leaders say that would cross? Or would they simply roll over as they have done hitherto? Would there be a constitutional crisis if Mueller subpoenaed Trump or, say, uh, Jared Kushner, his son-in-law, or Donald Trump Jr., his son, 
and they simply refused to turn up and the courts then upheld Mueller's subpoena and still they did nothing. That would be a constitutional crisis. But until we reach a point like that, the system is working. We're not in a constitutional crisis moment yet. As you know, Trump's lawyers are negotiating with Mueller for Trump to testify, to be questioned by the special counsel. And that's hedged around with a lot of conditions from Trump's lawyers. Mueller has sent questions to them in advance to reassure them this would not be a kind of entrapment, legal jeopardy situation. But Trump himself is chomping at the bit to talk to Mueller and believes that he can convince him there is no case here. But as I say, unless and until Trump tries to fire Mueller or there is another test, then the system is working. Dimitri, I see you gesticulating. Please add. So I was just going to add to something that Ed said, that there are a number of people in Washington who are saying Trump would be crazy to fire Mueller because it would trigger a constitutional crisis and there's no way that that's in the president's interest. There's one caveat to that, which is we don't know what Mueller has found out. We don't know what's out there that Mueller could find out. Really, the only person who knows what potentially is out there to learn is Donald Trump himself. If Donald Trump has made a calculation that Mueller could find out something that would be an even bigger legal risk to him, it's possible that he might try and stave that off by firing Mueller. And without knowing what's out there, as Donald Rumsfeld would say, the kind of the known unknowns, it's very difficult to know whether he's thinking rationally about whether he should fire Mueller or not. And we just don't know the answer to that yet. And since dismissals are the subject of a day, can you run us through why the McCabe firing is important and how this might be feeding into the whole Mueller story, the whole Comey story? Yes. So let me step back for a second. So Andrew McCabe was the deputy director of the FBI, a career professional who's been at the agency since he came out of law school. He was overseeing two very important investigations. The first was the probe into Hillary Clinton's use of a private email server and email address as Secretary of State. And the second was the early stages of the investigation into Russian interference in the 2016 election and whether there was collusion between the Trump campaign and the Kremlin. As Trump has started to hit out over the last year hard about the investigation, which he calls a witch hunt, he's often focused his wrath on Andy McCabe. And the reason is, A, McCabe was leading the investigation, which some Republicans say was skewed deliberately to hurt Trump, particularly if he won the presidency. And secondly, because McCabe's wife is a Democrat who ran for local office in Virginia and received financial backing from people associated with Terry McAuliffe, who was the former governor of Virginia and a very close friend of Bill and Hillary Clinton. However, McCabe himself is a registered Republican, and some of the things that McCabe did while he was overseeing these investigations were actually negative for Hillary Clinton, and there's really no evidence that he did things to hurt Donald Trump. But Trump has used him as a kind of a poster child for what he says is the bias at the FBI, and he has goaded Jeff Sessions, the attorney general, who's also a very close Trump ally, but someone who's fallen out with Trump because of his own decision to recuse himself from the Russia investigation, which Trump says triggered all of these things spiraling out of control. He goaded Jeff Sessions into firing McCabe. And so McCabe was fired literally a day before he was due to retire, which has implications for his pension and other things. It's important because McCabe kept contemporaneous notes of the conversations that he held, for example, both with the president and also with James Comey, who was the former FBI director, McCabe's boss, who himself has said that Donald Trump tried to urge him to shut down the FBI investigation into Michael Flynn, 
who was the Trump campaign aide, later national security advisor, who has since been indicted and pled guilty to lying to the FBI. So Andy McCabe is both an investigator leading the investigation, and he could be a key witness into whether Donald Trump tried to obstruct justice in connection with any of these Russia-related issues. Ed, this is obviously a story with a dizzying cast of characters, many of them lawyers or law enforcement officials, and it takes up an awful lot of media attention and attention in Washington. But if we take a step back, Nixon held summits with Russia in the shadow of Watergate. Clinton did very well at the State of the Union and improved his ratings in the depths of the Lewinsky affair. Can the Trump administration learn from that and just go on with business as usual while this whole affair goes on and the lawyers just keep on clocking up the fees? Well, to some extent, it has been. I mean, you know, he pushed through or helped push through the so-called tax reform bill in December. You know, he's had a nomination confirmed to the Supreme Court, Neil Gorsuch. And there are various sort of deconstruction of the administration actions going on at the Environmental Protection Agency the State Department and so forth that Steve Bannon so famously proclaimed early on in the administration. So Trump is going to continue to push things that he wants and to continue to be Trump, you know, regardless of whether the investigation is continuing. But there are two caveats to that. One is that clearly there's a link there between the squeeze the Mueller investigation applies to the White House, which has claimed many scalps already, as Dimitri listed a few of them, and Trump's reactions. Trump tends to lash out, to tweet, and to take rasher, more impulsive measures when he's feeling under pressure. And I think it is a perfectly reasonable expectation that pressure is going to get more acute in the coming weeks as the Trump Muller interrogation, the rules for that get set out. The second caveat is that there is an administration that is running on one track, if you like, and then there's Trump running on his own. And a perfect example of this is Vladimir Putin's thumping election victory on Sunday. The administration, Trump's aides, advised him in the call to Putin on Tuesday not to congratulate Vladimir Putin and to criticize him for the alleged Russian involvement in the nerve agent attack in Britain. Trump ignored his aides, congratulated Putin, and talked about areas where they could cooperate in the future. So there is that cognitive dissonance between Trump being Trump and an administration trying to get him to be somebody else. And I think that the ever closer tightening, breathing down your neck quality to the Mueller investigation is going to exacerbate that cognitive dissonance in the coming months. Dimitri, it looked like you were about to add to the cognitive dissonance. I agree with everything Ed said. And I would just add that another timeline that we have is the congressional midterm elections. And Trump is also very worried that if the Democrats retake the House, which is a growing possibility, that they will start impeachment proceedings against him. So he is desperate to get the Mueller investigation over before that, so that if the Democrats do take the House, he can say, look, Mueller investigated, everyone said that he was very fair, not politically biased, and he has said, I'm not guilty of anything. So he's also looking very much ahead towards November. Okay, so now we have a bit of a speed test. Could you explain to us briefly the whole different legal front that Mr. Trump is facing with various women who have suggested on the one hand that they've been forbidden to speak out about alleged affairs with him and another case of alleged sexual harassment and defamation. 
Sure. So we basically have three cases. Stormy Daniels, who is, I think everyone knows now, the porn star who reportedly had an affair with Trump in 2006. Trump's lawyer, Michael Cohen, paid her $130,000 to not say anything. She took the money. She is now arguing through her lawyer that that contract is not valid because Donald Trump didn't sign it. Trump, it should be pointed out, denies through his spokespeople that he ever had an affair with Stormy Daniels. Karen McDougall, who's a former Playboy playmate, who uh, claims that she had an affair with Donald Trump that started the same weekend that he apparently had a tryst with Stormy Daniels, and that she had a 10-month affair with the now president. And she is trying to get out of a legal contract she signed with the National Enquirer, which is owned by someone who's very close to Trump, who basically, it seems, paid her the money to take the story but was never going to run it because that was part of the deal that they had to protect the president. And the third is Summer Servos, who is a former contestant on The Apprentice, who says she's been defamed by Trump. She's accused him of sexual harassment and a court in New York has allowed that defamation suit to proceed, which opens up the possibility that Trump and or some of his former executives in the Trump organisation may be asked to testify or provide depositions. Thank you very much indeed. Full marks. And Ed, about what Dimitri's just said, Is that a sideshow or does it pose a danger for the president, these kind of accusations? And more broadly, did America know what it was getting when it voted for Donald Trump? And so does all of this make any difference at all? I think for the time being, the sexual harassment cases and the non-disclosure alleged breaches with the former porn star Stormy Daniels is a sideshow. I don't think it's causing Trump any political damage. You know, people, when they voted for Trump, knew what they were getting in that regard. And the Zervos case, I guess, potentially, because it's been established that the president, you know, is legally liable, potentially, for something he's done as a private citizen, as sitting president, that could actually go up to the Supreme Court, and it could become a sort of mega, you know, reality sort of courtroom TV show drama But unless that happens, I doubt this will cause him politically much harm. Is there a larger sort of regret on the part of the American electorate for, you know, getting what they voted for? I don't think there is in terms of Trump's base. It's extraordinary. The number that really matters in all of this isn't his overall approval number. It's the one amongst Republicans. And he has retained very strong 80 percent approval ratings with Republicans. So unless that weakens quite considerably, the Republican Party on Capitol Hill in Congress is likely to stick with him because Trump's the one who controls the base. And issues like former porn stars breaking non-disclosure agreements are not going to harm Trump with his base. And finally, just to wind up, just to ask both of you, at the end of a day, Mueller, his other legal problems, do you think this is something that Trump is just going to, in the end, survive Maybe political damage, it may be problems of another kind, but it's certainly not going to bring his presidency to an end before 2021. What do you both think? I think it really depends on what Mueller finds out and what Mueller decides to do. If Mueller believes that there are grounds to try and indict a sitting president and there's legal questions as to whether that's possible and different sides of that opinion then that would spark potentially a huge crisis for Donald Trump. But again, unless we know what Robert Mueller has up his sleeve and is going to show us, we don't know. If Mueller decides that Trump hasn't done anything wrong, then I think a lot of the wind will be taken out of the sails of all of this in terms of how the Democrats politicize it as well. And Ed, your take? My expectation is that there's a lot more of the Mueller show to come, particularly since he subpoenaed the Trump organization's financial documents 
there is, I think, a tip of the iceberg there, and there is a lot more to come. And we've not had any indictments yet on the alleged collusion with WikiLeaks and Russia on the email leaks and dumping during the election campaign. That is a whole other sort of chapter. So I think this is a pressure cooker situation we have in Washington, which is going to get more pressured. And as I said earlier, Trump under pressure is even more wildly impulsive than the normal Trump. So there you have it. If you think we've talked a lot about lawyers and legal cases, well, there's a lot more to come. We'll be covering it in the Financial Times. But in the meantime, my thanks to Ed Luce and Dimitri Sevastopoulou here in London. Until next week, goodbye. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade.